take this time to pause. We think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That the only motivation that could have ever caused you, a holy God, to reach down and to save us, to desire a relationship, to desire fellowship with us, is your unbelievable, matchless, unending love. For we're sinners. We are impure. We are unclean. We are tainted by the filth and sin of our own selfish human natures and this world that we live in. And so we thank you for the greatness of your love, the depth of your mercy, and the reach of your grace that you would invite us to be a part of your family. We are humbled by that this morning, Father, and we are so grateful in Christ's name. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I'm guessing that probably almost no one here has ever heard of a little town called Spruce Pine, North Carolina. I know it's a weird name, Spruce Pine. Has anybody ever heard of Spruce Pine, North Carolina? One person in theater, too. I see you waving back there. That's amazing. Uh, Oh, that's Theater 3 over there? Oh, okay. Well, wherever you are, waving person, I see you. I really didn't think anybody... Spruce Pine, North Carolina is a town of about 2,000 people. It is nestled in the hills of western North Carolina, very close to the border of Tennessee. And despite the fact that only one person out of the 230 or 40 of us that are here this morning has heard of it, it is actually a pretty significant spot in the world because of this mineral that is found there. It's silicon quartz, and it is the purest silicon quartz found in the entire world. It's so pure that when it is mined, it is snowy white. It's as soft as powdered sugar. If you've ever had powdered sugar in your hands, if you're making frosting or I don't know what else you make with it. I only know you make frosting with it. But how this, that texture, it's the purest natural silicon quartz found anywhere in the world. And the reason why this is important is because ultra pure silicon quartz is required to make computer chips. And the slightest impurity can throw a com an entire computer system out of whack. And so finding this actual kind of silicon quartz is very, very difficult. Now that is actually, silicon quartz is actually one of the most bountiful materials in the entire world. Because of course, you know the other name which we call silicon quartz, right? Sand. Sand is everywhere, but the sand that you see on the beach or the sand that you see if you drive through Oxford, which is just built on sand apparently, is not the kind we need for these computer chips. It has to be ultra, ultra pure. And silicon quartz sand is, is never found naturally completely pure, even that which is found in Spruce Pine, North Carolina. It still has to go through a refining process, blasted in an electric furnace until it is 99.9999119s pure. That's the only way that it can be used. 
must be the greatest possible purity. Now, what are we talking about here? What have we been talking about the last several weeks? Well, we've been talking about the fact that the church is the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ and that we have been called out by God. That is called out of this world and called to something else. Called to a distinctiveness, a difference from the world. That's what we're learning. We started a few weeks ago and we talked about the fact that the church lives according to the truth and to the doctrine of the Bible. The rest of the world lives according to their own truth, whatever they deem is right for them, but not us as a church. We have to live according to the doctrine of the Word of God. We talked about the fact that we live in fellowship with other people and we long for that interaction so that we can challenge each other, and encourage each other. We also live with a mission mindfulness of reaching out with the gospel. We live worshiping God, singing about his goodness and grace. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about the fact that we live in community with godly leaders who lead not to enrich themselves, but in order to see the church grow and flourish. In these ways... We are distinct from the world. And this morning, I want us to talk about the sixth distinctive of the church, and it is this, that the church is called out of a life of sin and called to a life of holiness. The church is called out of a life of sin and to a life of holiness. This is the essential element of our distinctiveness to the wor- from the world. That doesn't mean that the others aren't important. We still have a couple more that we're going to talk about. But I want you to understand this morning that this is the essential part of our distinctiveness from the world. Why do I say that? I say that because of the definition of the word holy. If we were to take some time and we were to look at the original languages that the Bible, the New Testament was written in, in Greek, and we're to look at the words that God uses in those original languages for holiness, we would find that the word holy means to be separate. It means to be set apart from the impurities and the filth of this world. And you know, because you're a human and you live in this world, that that does not happen naturally, does it? Just like that pure silicon quartz used for those computer chips does not happen naturally, our holiness does not happen naturally either. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, like everything else that we've talked about in the series, holiness is a massive topic in Scripture. And so we're going to just barely be able to scratch the surface here this morning. We could do a we could do a 10-week series just on the topic of holiness, but we're going to try to do our best this morning to see some key principles that we need to be thinking about if we're going to be distinct from the world. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 14 says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
So Peter says there's a change that has taken place here. He says your, your former ignorance. Now, I don't know if your mother ever taught you this, that ignorance wasn't a very nice word. That wasn't very nice to call somebody ignorant. But if you use it properly, it's just like every other word. I mean, sometimes it's true, right? If you're ignorant of something, then there's something that you don't know. And this is what Peter says, your former ignorance, now we're children of God, this is what he's talking about, rather than children of the world. And because of that, there's a different expectation for the way that we live. Now, I certainly don't want to excuse some of the things that are happening in our world, some of the horrible, sinful, vile things that are happening in our world. But in some respects, when I look at what's happening, I think, why are we so surprised that this is happening? Because this is a world which is without God. These are people who have no desire to do what God wants them to do. They don't even know what God wants them to do because they have no idea about the truth of Scripture. And this is what Peter's saying. Formerly, you were ignorant. You didn't know. But now you're a ch child of God. And so there is a new expectation for your behavior. Notice what he says there. Do not be conformed to the old way of life. Now, conformed is a very interesting word here. It's only used in two places in the New Testament, and I bet some of you already know the other place that it's used. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there, Romans 12, 2, and here, the only times that this word is used, and it means literally to identify with the outward shape of something. And you may have heard it described this way before I have. The implication here is to be pressed into the same mold. Don't be pressed into the mold of the world. And so, of course, you know what I had to do yesterday I took a little ride, and I went to Walmart, and I haven't used Play-Doh for probably, <clears throat> how old am I? 40 years, at least. But I was looking at these little things, and they're kind of cool. And if I took my Play-Doh and decided, you know what, this is from the Kitchen Creations set. <laughs> I want to make a cupcake then I take the cupcake mold and I put my Play-Doh in there. I've already been playing with it this morning. It's nice and soft. And I push it down like this. And then I flip the top and I push it out and I have this little cupcake. You can see the ridges and the little cupcake paper. See that, Joellen? This little cupcake and I'm pretending that I can eat a cupcake. But what if I don't want a cupcake? What if I want something else? What if I want a donut? Well, then I get my handy little donut press out. And I can put the Play-Doh into that. And I can press down. And then I peel all this off, the extra. And I open it up and look. I've got a little donut. It's even got a hole in it. See that? Now, here's the thing. And yes, you can play with it afterwards. It would be ridiculous for me to think that I could get a donut 
by using the cupcake mold, right? I mean, a four-year-old child, a three-year-old child, maybe even a two-year-old child would know the only way to get a donut is to use the donut press. If you use the cupcake mold, you're going to get what? A cupcake. Very good. You're all smarter than a three-year-old. <laughs> this is the word. I don't know that they had Play-Doh in ancient Greece, but this is the word that Paul was using. He was saying to us what? He was saying, my friends, you can't allow the world to press you into the cupcake mold because you're called to be a donut. You're called to be something else, right? Holy, that's right. Man, I never even thought of that. Thank you, Chris. Holy cow. Man, that one was laying right there and I didn't even see it. I just picked donut because I like donuts better than cupcakes, so... If we are going to be the people God wants us to be, this is what Peter is saying, right? God is calling us, be holy, he says, for I am holy. We cannot allow the world to press us into its mold. A different mold has to be used. Christ follower, he's saying, don't look like the world. You've got to look different. We used to be ignorant of God's standards of right and wrong. We didn't know. And we let the world and our own desires shape us. But here's what happens. When we let the world press us into its mold, instead of being renewed, as Paul says in, 12, in Romans 12, transformed by the renewing of our mind, we go for the things that we think will be fulfilling, and that's what's happening in our world today, right? Everybody is pursuing these things, these lifestyles, these choices, because they think, this is going to finally fulfill me. What they're going to find when they get there is what we have all found in our lives, and that is this. What the world has to offer is of far, far lesser value than what God has to offer. But we are attracted by that, aren't we? We're attracted by the shiny things the world offers. We're attracted by the, by the attention, by the feeling, by the emotion of what Satan offers us through his temptations and through the depravity of the world. Peter says things are different now and our lives must not look the same way because we know better. Look again at verse 15. Let me read 15 and 16 for you again. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I always mention to you when we're reading a passage like this to notice the word at the beginning of verse 15. Notice the word but. That's a hinge. Remember, we are called out of something into something else. And that's what we're seeing here in this passage. This is the new way. The new way is holiness. I already alluded to it earlier, but holy means set apart, sacred, separate. It literally means different from the common. 
Maybe you remember a parent or someone in authority saying to you at some point in your life when you were about to make a really stupid decision or maybe just after you made a really stupid decision, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do that too? This is what Peter is talking about here. This is what holy means. It means different from the common. Unfortunately, what's happening in our world and what has happened in many of our churches is this is what everybody is doing, so I'm going to go do that too. Well, we can't stand up for what's right. Well, we can't draw this line here because our whole culture is going this way. We've got we've to keep up. We've got to make sure that we don't look like the cruel ones. We've got to make sure that we don't look like the weird ones. Well, actually, if you're concerned at all about the truth of the Word of God, which we should be as called out ones, that's our first distinctive, right? That we live according to the truth and the doctrine of the Word of God. God's word actually commands us to be different from the common. Commands us to step apart. There needs to be a separation from the world for us. When I look at you, when your family looks at you, when your friends look at you, we should all see you as different than the common. Because, according to Peter here, we are called to identify with our Father who is holy. We ought to be holy because our Father is holy. Now let's talk about God's holiness for a second. Remember what holiness means, set apart, separate, different from the common. This is the seminal characteristic of God. His holiness, His separateness... If I could use this word, I don't know if it's actually a word or not, but I'm going to use it. His otherness. Let me explain. I could say, I'm a unique person. There's no one else quite like me. And I know many of you are like, it's good. That's, that's really good. One is enough. I understand. I live with a couple of people who feel the same way. One is enough. I'm a unique person. I'm a unique blend of, of physical characteristics and mental capability and, and abilities and skills and all those kinds of things. I'm a unique person. But there's so many ways in which I am not unique. I'm a man, but there's lots of other men. There's plenty of other men right here today. I could say, well, I'm a father. Well, there's lots of other fathers. I'm a husband. There are lots of other husbands. I'm a pastor. There are lots of other pastors. There are lots of other men who are husbands, fathers, and pastors. But there is no one like God. He is utterly, uniquely himself. He is unrivaled. He is unequaled in every way. He is completely separate and sinless, he is completely other. There is no one like him. In fact, that's what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 2. There is none like you, God. There are none holy like you. That's who he is. Now, clearly, we cannot be holy to the extent that God is holy. But God says, I want you to be like me. 
I want you to imitate me. I want you to separate yourself from the world. I want you to be distinct in your behavior. I want you to be other. That's the command. This is not just a suggestion. This is not just an idea for a certain segment of the church population, a certain chunk of people who claim to follow Christ. If you want to go the extra mile, then you can be this. This is our calling. This is a calling that God gives all of us. Let me read for you Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul is writing here and he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us. God deliberately selected us for holiness. You notice there he says, before the foundation of the world. The word foundation there means blueprint or literally design. In other words, the very purpose for which God chose us and saved us and made us his children is so that we would become holy. Now, if I were to ask you, if I were to take a poll, I would say, why did God save you? You would probably say something like, so that I don't have to spend eternity in hell. And that would be true. But Paul is telling us here that ultimately, ultimately, God chose you so that you could be holy, so that you could be different, so that you could be separate. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 Paul tells us that Christ's desire is to have a holy church. Paul is painting a picture of the future, and he says, In that day, Christ will present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. When you think about what God wants for our church, or a church... How easy is it, how common is it for us to think what God wants for us is to be a big church, right? Big church. Everybody that comes and stops at the office and looks at our plan on the wall of the church, the first thing they say after they look at it is like, how come it's so small? And so we talk about the fact of the reality of dollars and cents and how much we can afford to build and all that kind of stuff. But whenever we're thinking about our church, and we're thinking about our church a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, what are we thinking, right? What are we thinking? Nobody's thinking anything. When I think about it and talk to people about it, we're thinking what? More people. Growth, right? Bigger. Believe me, folks, I want our church to grow because it means people are coming to Christ. People are being forgiven, restored, healed, brought into fellowship with God, their destinies secured. But when Paul talks about the church that Christ wants, he doesn't say, 
I'm looking to present to myself a big church. He's saying, I'm looking to present to myself a holy church. A holy church. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Paul says, how can we be partners with the world? Now, a lot of times this verse is used when we're talking about marriage. And rightly so. An unbeliever or a believer should not marry an unbeliever. But it extends to every area of our lives. How can we be partners with the world, children of God? How can we be a part of all the ungodliness? Melody and I were just talking in the car just a few minutes ago on our way here about a Christian music group who won a Grammy on, sad, on Sunday night. Do you know what happened at the Grammys on Sunday night? There was a whole big dump truck load of filth going on there that night. Horrifying things. Demonic things. Irreverent things. Ungodly things. Filthy things. I'm not saying I'm a better person, but if I was sitting there in that room, I think I would have gotten up and left. How can we be partners with the world, Paul says? How can we, be, how can we collaborate and be a part of all this ungodliness? Look at verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. The word agreement there means alliance or accord. How can we be in alliance with the world? Because we don't or we shouldn't want the same things. Because of this, verse 17 Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Paul here challenges us that there needs to be a clean break from our past. Because of this, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate and touch no unclean thing. Would you say that statement has characterized your life this past week? Listen to what Jesus says about this in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Jesus says it this way, even more strongly. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Anybody else struggle with the uh, application of that verse? 
That's a break. That's a clean break. Now clearly Christ is not commanding us to mutilate ourselves. But he is telling us to draw a line in the sand. He is telling us to take deliberate action. The word separate from that 2 Corinthians 6, 17 verse, be separate from them, literally means to mark off by boundaries. God is calling us through Paul and he's saying, when you see the unclean thing, when you see the filth, when you see the sin, you need to separate yourself from it. You need to draw a boundary so that you don't cross back over into it. Now, of course, we're not going to be perfectly holy in this world, but there must be a progression of holiness in our lives, folks. As Christ followers, there has to be a progression of holiness. This is the pursuit of our Christian lives. We need to keep going in the direction of being more like Christ. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we? Now notice what Paul says, just one more verse there in 2 Corinthians 6. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. The last part of verse 17 there, he says, come out from among them and be separate and don't touch the unclean thing. And at the end of verse 17, he says, then I will welcome you. If you will do that, if you will separate yourself from unholiness, then I will be a father to you. See the relationship here. God desires that with you. I will be a father. And you will be my child. I am very grateful for the fact that I have a wonderful father. I know not everyone has the blessing of a wonderful father, but I do. And my relationship to him is so special to me and so valuable to me. And I love spending time with him. Of course, I don't spend as much time with him as I used to because we live a long ways away and we have our own lives and all those kinds of things. But over the past 52 years, I've spent a lot of time with him. And what I've realized is the more time I spend with him and the older I get, guess what's happening? I'm turning into my father. Now, I think that's a good thing because I love my dad. Sometimes I have people say, man, you're just like your father. And I'm not sure if they, they're uh, being positive or being negative or, or what the situation is there. But the reason is because we've spent so much time together. We talk on the phone all the time. We text back and forth all the time. And we have for our, my whole life. It grows. And what I want you to notice here is that holiness in our lives lead to, leads to intimacy in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Holiness in our lives leads to intimacy in our relationship with our Heavenly Father.
And that's only possible when I purify my heart from the filth of this world. Am I behaving like my father? Oh, my friends, God has, God has called you to a life of holiness. He's called our church to be characterized by holiness. And I want to ask you a couple of questions here as we draw this to a close. The first one is this. In what area of your life do you need to distinguish yourself from the world? Is it the way you speak? Is it the words that you use? Is it the things that you watch on TV or watch on your phone? Is it the way that you treat your spouse? At work, do you just do your job like everybody else? Or is there a difference there? The way you spend your money. The follow-up to that is this. Do you need to make a clean break? Is there something that is affecting your holiness that you need to make a clean break from? Does your computer need to go into the dumpster? You need to take a sledgehammer to your phone? I know that sounds extreme, but you know what? Human civilization survived for thousands of years without phones and computers. It could be done again. Next question. If everyone in our church was as holy as you are, how holy would our church be? The distinctives of the church. We're the called out ones. We're talking about us as a church, but guess what? The holiness of our church is comprised of our holiness. If everyone in this church was as holy as you, how holy would our church be? In this culture, I am stunned by the insignificance of God. At best, God is a joke. He is a curse word. At worst, he is to be hated. But to you and I, the called out ones, distinct from the world, to us, to you, God must be everything. And as we consider this call to holiness that Peter and Paul both give us here, we have to ask ourselves, how is it possible to please God in the area of holiness? And I know only one answer, and that is our lives must be permeated by God. He must be everything to us. He must be motive. He must be guide. He must be strength. He must be standard. He has to be everything. He cannot be an afterthought. We can't keep living our lives like Oh, shoot, it's Sunday. i got to get dressed and go to church. And then live however we want to live our lives the rest of the week. Let me just read you one more verse. It's actually back in 1 Peter 1. It's part of that other passage I read for you, but I just want to read it for you now. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds for action. 
this pursuit of holiness, this progression of holiness is an active process. Listen, folks, you got to get up. You got to move. You got to do something different than the way you've lived the rest of your lives if you expect to see a change and a progression in your holiness. We can't do the same things that we always have. We have to let go of selfish desire. We've got to develop some self-discipline muscle. Years ago, I shared this whole story about a man named William Borden with you, and I, and I left you with this quote, and I give it to you again. William Borden said, we have to say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. But here's the thing, self-discipline and willpower are not going to be enough to overcome our self-focus and our love for the world. We need more, and God gives us more. Peter says, set your hope fully on grace. I need hope. I'm just going to tell you right now, straight up, living in this cesspool, I need hope. You need hope. And hope is only found in the grace of God. God can and will enable you to live a holy life in the middle of all of this trash. And if I can say this, this world needs hope too. This world needs grace. The darker this world gets, the brighter the light of the grace of God will shine into it. Your holiness matters because God has called you to it, but your holiness matters for this world too. Because there's not many lights shining out into that darkness, and as much as everybody wants to think they're doing just what they want to do, they're not. And they're going to come to the end of it. And they need some pinpricks of light in the darkness that they might have hope too. This holiness that Peter and Paul are urging us to, that God has called us to, is a, is a gospel-driven holiness. By the grace of God, you can be holy. By the grace of God, one day you will be completely holy. In the meantime, God calls us to live our calling. We can only do that through Christ. We need Christ. In Christ alone, we find the grace we need to live. We have a reason to hope because of grace. And when we feel like strangers in a foreign land or aliens on another planet, that's how we should feel because that's what we are. We're strangers in this world. This world is not our home. Because of grace, we're called out of this world to holiness. Know to self. Yes to Jesus every time. 
Father, we desperately need your grace today. And when we are confronted with the topic of holiness, our hearts hurt. For we can only think of all of the times that we have let you down. We can only think of all of the times that we have strayed far from the truth. And we have not progressed in holiness. We've digressed. You have called us to this, which tells me that you will enable us to do it. I pray for each person here this morning, Lord, that we might honestly look into our hearts, see what needs to be done, make a clean break, separate ourselves from the world so that we might have intimacy with you. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. May your spirit use it like the double-edged sword it is to pierce our hearts and to find the need in Christ's name. Thanks, folks. I hope you have a great week.